You ready? Yep. <clears throat> it's the 401 episode four. It is January 13th. I am your host, Tanner Ward. And with me as always, Nick Duskit. Hey, we're getting better at that. Uh, you can follow us at 401 pod, at Tanner Ward 7, and at in Duskit 47. That is in does chat 47. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. Help us get the word out about the show. If you're still listening, you know you love it. Follow us on Spotify. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to the four people who have so far. They know it's five-star material. You know it's five-star material. Leave us that review. Retweet our stuff on Twitter. We went uh, mini-viral Saturday You went mini-viral, yeah. I will, I will happily take full credit for that. Yeah, it was a, a little tweet of Derrick Henry turning Earl Thomas uh, from a possible tackle into his lead blocker by spinning spin him around on a stiff arm. Uh, yeah, got about, uh, what was it, 4,000 views, I think, by the end of it. So not bad for a podcast or a, um, a Twitter handle that hasn't been up for very long. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the likes. I saw it was over a hundred. I've never seen over a hundred likes on any of my stuff. So really, yeah, I, you know, I'm decent on social media, but people just don't get my humor sometimes because I'm not like always on it. Yeah, I have gotten one tweet where it was like just shy of a thousand likes, and it was literally because Pitching Ninja retweeted it. So then it just went off. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, that that one might have been the highlight of my uh, of my Twitter career. So, just a little look into the show. We're going to jump right into the divisional round playoffs, the wild weekend that it was. Uh, then we have a little bit more NFL news to talk about. Uh, we have a little Super Bowl prop bet to add to our beer mile playoff pick off pick 'em challenge. I almost got that right. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the national championship game that is tonight. Uh, some best tailgate memories, and we'll jump into, into some segments. We got a new one to try out, and we'll do uh, Fly High, Idiot of the Week. And then we'll finish up with a little bit of Cardinal Talk. I don't know if you saw that. I added that late to the notes, but I have a little bit of, uh, to talk about with the okay. Nolan Arnato trade uh, rumors kind of heating up. <clears throat> All good. All right, so let's jump into it. Episode 4 of the 401. What a fantastic weekend of football it was the divisional round did not disappoint no you got everything this this uh this weekend with football yeah and it's not over yet because you know like i mentioned you also have lsu clemson tonight hello water bottle (laughs) yeah i gotta i gotta keep myself hydrated here yeah you know i spent spent the afternoon yesterday at lambo did you have to put the ice cubes in there yeah, man. I, I <laughs> in an aluminum bottle. <laughs> I'm not a peasant, man. It's in a tumbler. It's in a Yeti tumbler. Yeah. All right. So, you know, gotta gotta keep the voice box uh oiled up. Okay. All right. So we open up with the Vikings at the Niners kickoff Saturday. Uh Vikings fall ten to twenty seven. Niners just dominated this game. Uh I'm gonna go with a couple notes first, okay? Yep. I bet on Kirk Cousins, and I hate myself for it. 
I would imagine. And I think yeah. I gave you the option to this yeah, game. You and- Honestly, it, I think it's tougher to pick when you have two choices versus just getting whatever's left over. Yeah, it, like I said, I've kind of made you overthink things. So maybe this time I'll help you out and uh, you can get a couple right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the the Beer Mile Playoff Pick'em Challenge, if you uh, weren't keeping up, Nick went undefeated last week in the wild card round, got all four right. I went one and three. So if he went three and one, just three and one this week, he would have won the whole damn thing already. Uh, he started off with a victory here. So he started five and zero oh in this thing. Uh, I think the more impressive thing, though, is that the Vikings become the first team in NFL history to lose 30 playoff games. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. So I hate myself just a little bit less after seeing that stat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this this game was not all on Kirk Cousins. All right. I've been giving him a lot of shit on this podcast since we started. It's not all on Kirk Cousins, but he still sucks. All right. I would rather have Chase Daniel in a big game than Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think they just kind of got manhandled, actually. The running game was not existent. Thielen was kind of hurt still with the, like a, I think he got like a cut on his ankle. So really yeah. they only had uh, Stefan Diggs to rely on. And I mean, he had two catches for 57 yards and touchdown, but that's not going to do anything when uh, Cook has nine carries for 18 yards. Yeah. So Adam Thielen got stepped on a cleat, stepped on him in practice uh, by his own teammate. He had a lacerated, uh, I think, I think it was his ankle or foot. I don't remember which one it was. But, yeah, uh, I was going to get into some carries a little bit later, but I'll just jump right to it now. The This is such a dumb stat. This will be kind of a running theme on the show today. But Vikings were 40-0 and under – or still are 40-0 and under Mike Zimmer when, a running, when the running backs have 30-plus rush attempts. And so that was kind of the running joke on Twitter was, you know, Dalvin Cook just needs to get to 30 carries. They're going to win. He had, I believe, what, eight, seven or eight? He had, uh, he had, I don't see it now. Uh, I think it was eight or nine. I know he had seven at one point. So it was like, you know, just 23 more carries and the Vikings will win this. Even nine though carries. Nine, finish nine. Yeah, but they got the shit kicked out of them. So I will get a little bit more into that stat in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so the Vikings gave me hope for just a few minutes that Green Bay would have hosted the NFC Championship game. That hope left, that hope left the building faster than referees after a Saints playoff game. Yeah, the uh, 49ers, what was it, like 14-10, and then 49ers just ran away with it, obviously, not not letting uh, the Vikings score after, what was it, second quarter? Uh, yep. I don't remember. Yeah, because yep. the, the Vikings tied it at seven, then they made it 14-10, to 10, and then that was the ball game. Yes. Uh, the Vikings' only answer to the San Fran pass rush, which, I mean, the pass rush was just dominant. Kirk Cousins had no time back there. Their only answer was the running back screen, and that was dog shit. I yeah. remember, I remember three specifically that went for a combined four yards. They just kept trying it though because they didn't have any other answer. But then you know that that was all John D. Filippo or D. Filippo D. Filippo just got fired today. He was the coordinator before Kevin Stefanski, so that's why his name is on my mind. But offensive coordinator of the Vikings, uh, Kevin Stefanski, can't find an answer for this San Fran pass rush, and then the next day gets hired by Cleveland Browns as their new head coach. 
Most Cleveland move ever. Yeah. So Minnesota should have been in four-down territory the entire fourth quarter, but they were absolutely dominated across the board. They kept getting themselves in a third and longs and were forced to punt. They couldn't even give themselves the opportunity to go for it on fourth down. Honestly, they were never in this game after the first quarter. I would agree on that. So uh, here's some uh, notes on the Niners themselves. Kyle Shanahan, is he serious with that stupid hat? It's like a trucker hat, but it, it looks like, I don't know, it has the smallest San Fran logo on the front, too. I can't really, like, what is it? It's like when you upload a logo on your computer, but if you stretch it out, it like becomes extremely pixelated. So you have to keep the the picture small. That's what it looks like. That thing, it had to start out a joke. And then he just got stuck wearing it the entire year because they just kept winning all year. Yeah, it is not a good hat. Actually, I like that hat more than the uh, the Texans all white. With you can't even see the logo; it's just an outline of their the the Ram or whatever it is, the bull. I guess I missed that one. It's terrible. I yeah, I was trying to watch the Chiefs Texans game as much as possible, but we were also tailgating the Packers game, so it was a little bit difficult. Uh, I think I caught the gist of it, though. But the the Niners built the most complete team in the NFL in the sneakiest way possible because they are. They have a great offensive line. They run the ball extremely well. They have weapons in the passing game, and they made that trade for Jimmy G. Uh, and then they've built a, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and really no one saw it coming. No one saw them putting it together this year. So just the sneakiest way possible. They had a lot of early draft picks because they were bad for several years. But, yeah, then they make the trade for Jimmy G. Uh, their rookie's been hitting. Of course, their uh, Bosa has been very good. Debo Samuel has been very good. So their young guys are really performing. But, yeah, they have built probably the most complete team in the NFL. And no one, no one saw this coming at the beginning of the year. Well, I, Jimmy G had some early exce- success when he got uh, traded over there. But yeah. Yeah, last year when he got hurt trying to level someone, you can obviously see how big of an impact this guy really is when he's healthy. Uh, he doesn't lose a lot, and that's for sure. Didn't Jimmy G tear his ACL against the Vikings last year? I actually have no idea. They opened the season against him, so maybe I'm just thinking of that week one game where Dante Pettis went off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because who was it? Marquise Goodwin took a helmet to the – he was like one of my favorite sleepers that year, heading into the 2018 year. He took a helmet to the thigh, like first half. He's out for the game. Dante Pettis, I know he caught one touchdown, maybe two, but he began his rookie breakout campaign. But all right, enough about about that. Um, San Fran running the football, it's like football porn. They are just, I mean, they make running the ball sexy. They had 131 yards in the air. They ran for 186. I mean, it helps when you have three good running backs and Coleman being healthy right now, too. It just, yeah. <laughs> do, do, do they have three good running backs? Because Tevin Coleman was a backup all those years in Atlanta. Raheem Mostert has been in the league for like five years now. He's always been a backup guy. He's actually always been like a third string guy. So you could make the argument that they're making their so there's you know, system running backs is what you're trying to say. Well, almost, 
almost all running backs, three quarters of the running backs in the NFL are system running backs. And I don't think these guys are anything special. I think they are just excelling in Shanahan's system. Now, some of that does go to the running back themselves having to be able to read, adjust, and you know, know the system well, know when the cutbacks are, know when to uh, you know, f- attack the hole with the block. I said no one to set up the cutback. But, yeah, I think a lot of it is the system. I think any running back could go into my – I almost said Mike Shanahan – could go into Kyle's system and be successful. Fair enough. Okay, so here's the running back. uh, The the amount of carries notes that I kind of have that I alluded to earlier with the Vikings. You know, they they said, you know, 40-0 the Vikings were was Mike Zimmer's head coach when the running backs get 30 rush attempts. Running the football does not correlate to winning, but winning correlates to more rush attempts. You follow me there? Yep. So the 30 uh, rush attempt number that they need to hit, that's not a number they hit and then they win. They're hitting that number because they have leads late. Then they're bleeding out the clock. They also, they've also had quarterbacks like Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins. That's going to make you run the ball more. But you have to be positive game script, and you have to be leading towards the end. And that correlates to more rush attempts, and that's why you see all these stats like this where, oh, yeah, Zimmer's 40-0 when they run at least 30 times. Well, yeah, he spent the whole fourth quarter in probably every one of those games running the football and bleeding out the clock. So don't get confused when you see those stats. Just know that when they talk about rush attempts and rushing totals uh, being correlated with winning, it's the other way around you add rush attempts when you are already winning the football game. So that's just kind of a little rant I had there. Yeah, and I think like uh, kind of like the Rams system where they – when Gurley wasn't getting a lot of touches, but he was getting little passes in the backfield, that's still kind of like a run to most people too. So just touches from the, really the the uh, running back position is uh, should be put in there too. Yeah, and another reason I think San Fran had 50 more rushing yards than passing yards, they had the lead late the whole second half. They didn't need to throw, and Jimmy G had threw that pick uh, that was an unadvised throw. So Shanahan just put an emphasis on running the ball, and their O-line absolutely dominated up front. The zone blocking sets – I mean, or excuse me, their zone blocking sets up their one-step cutback so beautifully. I could watch that all day. The running backs almost every time get the ball – the zone blocking is all going one direction. That running back gets the handoff, one step, cuts it back, and it's at least a five, six-yard gain. You must like that one direction, band because you keep saying that in this podcast. <laughs> I'm an insane guy. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure the 49ers ever had to throw the ball in that game. And Jimmy Garoppolo might be the worst player on that offense. Uh, I can tell you who's the best. Who? Kittle. Yeah. But that was what I wrote down. They have a great offensive line. They got George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, uh, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida. I think Jimmy G's the weakest link on that. And that's not a bad thing because Garoppolo is pretty good, I think. I mean, he's definitely above average quarterback. So your weakest link is a, a very competent quarterback. I wouldn't say he's elite but he's very good. And so if that's your weakest link, you have a hell of a team. Yep. You are right. I kind of lost count at the amount of times the Niners defensive line just made me go, Jesus, because they, they absolutely dominated that Vikings O-line. 
and that's why they won. Uh, my last note on this overall, this was a pretty shitty game. I hit yeah. myself, hate myself for every betting uh, on the Vikings or getting my hopes up that the Packers could have ever hosted the NFC Championship game next week. I was right on Kirk Cousins from the start. He will never get a sliver of my trust again. And the last, last thing, I never want to hear those three stupid words again that Kirk Cousins has coined. I don't want to hear it from Kirk Cousins. I don't want to hear it from anyone else. All right, moving on. You know who did yeah. get 30 carries uh, Saturday? What? Derrick Henry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they are the Titans are kind of taking that entire argument and throwing it out the window. But again, they're never they haven't been in a negative game script this whole whole playoff. And we're at that game now. The Titans beat the Ravens 28 to 12. I mean, just absolutely dominated the Ravens. Uh, and yeah, Derrick Henry was just insane. I have his stats written down here somewhere. He finished this game 30 carries, 195 yards. So here, here's a little thing that I'm looking at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tannehill went seven for 14. Oh, for, oh, come on. Okay, go ahead. Fuck it. Right. We'll just throw my notes out the window. You can put more notes on it because I'm not that smart. So Tannehill went seven for 14 for 88 yards and two touchdowns. And this is what I'm looking at right now, actually. Tannehill's first touchdown pass was 12 yards. His second touchdown pass was 45 yards. How much is that right there? That's 57 yards. Yeah, sure. And I didn't he, get this number, so. <laughs> and then he didn't really do anything. He didn't have to do anything after that because they just they had the lead and started handing it off. Yeah. So Ryan Tannehill, here's the stat line. 15 of 29, 160 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That is his stat line for the playoffs. Two wins combined in the playoffs, that's the stat line. 15 completions, 160 yards. Yeah, he doesn't have to do anything special, that's for sure. Derrick Henry, on the other hand, has 64 carries for – I got it written down somewhere – Oh, here it is. 64 carries, 377 yards, and a touchdown in two playoff games. That's monstrous. He's became the first player in NFL history with two games of 175-plus rushing yards in the same postseason, which is kind of crazy to think about when old-school football running backs are typically getting 25, 30 carries a game. It's insane. It really is. None of their wide receivers had more than two catches. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's how it was in the uh, Patriots game, too, where it was Anthony Ferkser, I think, had two, maybe Tajay Sharp, and that was it. Yeah. AJ, AJ Brown hasn't done anything in the playoffs. Actually, no, he, really, he had one catch for nine yards. Okay, because I knew he didn't do anything against the Patriots. I wasn't sure what he did in this one. But, yeah, that's their best offensive weapon in the receiving game, and he hasn't done anything. It's crazy, man. It really is. So I might have a serious curse upon me for playoff picks. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Oh, that's not even a question? No, that's not. All right, look, at least I was better than Colin Coward. Okay, He didn't get a single one right (laughs) up until this point. This is just going on up until Saturday night. He was still over. Uh, I at least had one right up until this point. So I was one 
and five after Saturday night. Nick was six and oh. So after Saturday night, you just needed one more win to win this thing, but we'll make that case in a little bit when we get to the Sunday games. All right. Are the Ravens the worst 14 and two team ever? Is that like, no, why? (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that whatsoever. No, they just ran into a hot team. (laughs) Uh, People are asking people. They're definitely not the worst. (laughs) What? 12 and 14 and two team at all. (laughs) Well, it's between them and the 06 Chargers with uh, Schottenheimer, who actually got fired after they got booted first round of the playoffs. And LaDainian Tomlinson ran for like 31 touchdowns that year. It was like 28. He had the NFL record that year. Uh, But, yeah, that's just a joke, obviously. (laughs) Did did the Ravens talk too much about the Super Bowl? Ooh, yeah, you could be kind of look ahead. I don't think they – I don't think they did. I don't think they thought – the Titans were even going to win that game, maybe, first of all. And then their game plan wasn't as great as it should have been because, like I said, they ran into a hot team with, you know, more kind of like positivity and, you know, mind. What am I thinking of? Like, just confidence. Jesus. Yeah. So this is kind of what I think about this game is that I don't think they were looking past it. The, the only people that was talking too much about the Ravens in the Super Bowl was the media because every interview that uh, any player, especially Lamar Jackson, had to do, they would ask him all these questions about the Super Bowl. So I put that part on the media. There's no way in hell that John Harbaugh and that locker room is thinking about uh, the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami already. They're definitely looking at who they're playing now. So as far as the Titans game plan go, it was executed perfectly. So their game plan, I was reading a, a thing where I don't remember if it was one of the players or coaches, but they said, you know, we were going to stock stack eight or nine in the box all night. We were going to make Lamar throw the ball. Now for that to work, it has to be a one score game because you're not going to be able to sell out whenever you're chasing points. Right. So they're going to stack the box, force Lamar to throw it from the pocket. Again, it, it was executed perfectly because, they weren't able to really get the run going. The Ravens weren't. Even though, you know, Lamar's final stats in that game were phenomenal. I think he threw for 300, ran for 100. The Ravens had like 500 yards of offense. But I early can on, tell you the stats right now. He went 31 for 59 for 365 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, ran it 20 times for 143 yards. But again, some of that's garbage time because the Titans dominated this game. And again, a lot of that is they got the early lead and then they were able to stick to their defensive game plan, which was stack the box, make Lamar beat you with the throws. So that's kind of my take on the Titans uh, defense. Was it just me or did Lamar throw a lot of ducks tonight? Actually, this is a game I probably did not watch as much. Yeah. Uh, I was celebrating a 30th birthday party and the, the Blues were on that night too. So yeah. I didn't watch a lot of it. I just kind of peeked my head over at the, the television. I saw Henry's touchdown pass. Uh, I saw a couple Lamar uh, possessions. But other than that, I didn't really get to watch this as much. You know, it was a Saturday night game. So I did have some other things to do. But, yeah, and then obviously looking at the stat lines and seeing that the Ravens were getting their butt whooped did not help them. Yeah, it sounds like you actually have a social life there. Uh, I, I also want to note. I realized that I said that 
uh, Lamar threw a lot of ducks tonight. Uh, I definitely, I was typing this as I was watching the game. So I was definitely just read that as I wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He did not have a lot of spirals. Highlight of that game was definitely Derrick Henry using the Tebow pass. And not only that to Corey Davis highlight of the game right there. Yeah. And it was good. I actually saw that one. So, um, it was, you never would have expected that in a million years, right? No, no, definitely not. That was yeah. beautiful, though. Like, Tim Tebow was a, at least a quarterback doing it. I mean, he was built like a running back or a linebacker, really. But, yeah, no, that was just – that was the most shocking, ballsy play I think I've seen in the playoffs. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't seen Taysom Hill run that play about 27 times this year, honestly. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Derrick Henry, if you didn't see the tweet, follow us at 401pod. But yeah, Derrick Henry empowered his will so much in this game that Earl Thomas came in for a block or came in for a tackle. Henry spun him around with a stiff arm and turned him into his lead blocker. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. The one thing, one thing about that tweet, it auto-corrected Earl to early. And no one said a word. Like, <laughs> I didn't even notice it until it had over a thousand views. I read it and I was like, it says uh, early Thomas. <laughs> you know what was the bad part about that, actually? I'm glad that you did that and got all that success. But I mm-hmm. forgot to turn off the likes notification. Yeah. And my phone went bonkers on me. Like, right <laughs> when I got in service, because I didn't have service where I was at. And right when I got in my car, was driving home, and all of a sudden, just like, I'm like, oh my god, what is going on? <laughs> uh, don't worry, just making us famous over here. Yeah, <laughs> almost killed my uh, phone on the process, though. Uh, some no- some more notes about this one: the bigger Mike Vrabel's team is the underdog, the less that you should bet on them. Or when Mike Vrabel, let me rephrase that because I don't know what I'm typing here. The more that Mike Vrabel's team is the underdog, the more you should hammer them in bets because that is when the Titans have played the best is when they're kind of counted out of games. I would agree for sure. Yeah. And for, but for also for future reference, hammer the opponent when the Titans are favored because then they don't play well when they're actually favored. I mean, uh, I'm the one who is good, better right now. So I don't know how much I should listen to you, but. You sound correct. Yeah, whatever. Shut up. We don't have to talk about it. Uh, on a scale of one to four skins, how worried is Mike Vrabel that he's going to have to cut his dick off? Uh, I don't know. You answer that. That's a weird question to answer. Well, if, well, if you don't know the, the context there, <clears throat> excuse me, in a preseason, uh, he was on a podcast, I believe Taylor Lewan, his left tackle's podcast uh, during the preseason, and Vrabel said he would cut his own dick off to win the Super Bowl. Now he's in the AFC Championship game, so on a scale of one to four skins, how worried is he going to have to live up to that? I mean, where does the skin start? Does it start at one or does it end at four? <laughs> I, I, thought that was, I thought that was the best scale to measure this one out. Yeah, because it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, fourth kid. Um, I'm glad. Dude, I you don't got know. That's a weird. <laughs> I don't even want to answer it. I really don't. <laughs> okay, moving on. Lamar Jackson threw this through the ball 59 times in this one. Again, they were chasing points the entire time. So the Ravens' offense ran 92 plays, 
530 total yards of offense. They only scored 12 points. They were 11 of 18 on third down. The Titans had the same amount of possessions, 11. They only ran 53 plays, 300 total yards of offense, but scored 28 points. They were also, I mean, decent on third down, 7 of 13. All right. The last time a team was able to put up the offensive stats in the playoffs like the Ravens did and lose by multiple touchdowns, none other, none other than the Minnesota Vikings in 2000. Mm-hmm. And that's no surprise. They had the most playoff losses, as I alluded to earlier. They ran 83 plays, had 475 total yards of offense. They lost 49 to 37 to the greatest show on turf back in 2000. They put up those numbers and still put up 37 points. The Ravens put up those numbers, only scored 12. Jesus. <laughs> that's what the uh, Niners defensive line had me saying all day. I know. All right. I got one more note on the Ravens. And that is they went 0-4 on fourth down. They have excelled at converting fourth downs this year. Uh, they failed on a fourth and one for the first time this entire year. So that's when you – I feel like that's kind of when you knew they were in trouble. Also, Lamar threw a pick. I don't remember if that was the first or second possession, but they did not look good early. Titans did look good early. You knew the Ravens were in trouble. I think everyone was thinking, though, that they were going to turn it on at any time and come back and win this thing. But it never yeah. happened. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't really watch a lot of this game, but when you see that stat line where they went 0 for 4, that I was like what do you how many fourth downs do you usually try to convert in a normal playoff game? Like maybe two, maybe one. It's so yeah. crucial. Going forward on fourth down four times is a lot in any game. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, Lamar like, were they a lot of – I didn't even – you said they lost one of the fourth and ones, and then he threw an interception in the other one. Were they manageable fourth downs, or were there some of them, like you said, at the end of the game, and they were kind of like fourth and long, but we have to go for it still? So, just to be clear, uh, the interception was not on a fourth down. I don't oh, okay. believe. I think it was just their first or second possession. I think it was their first possession he threw one. The fourth – I know two of them were like fourth and short. I don't remember about the other two. Uh, I was just looking at the stats later and realized they had they were 0 for 4 on fourth down. But I do remember two of them were fourth and short, and they weren't able to convert either one. One of them, it was the direct snap to Lamar and shotgun, and he tried to bounce it off his tackle, didn't get it. The second one, he went under center for the QB sneak, but took the snap and tried to bounce it outside the tackle as well, which honestly, that works a lot of times, but not with Lamar. I feel like they were kind of expecting him to bounce it outside instead of the sneak up the middle. But when quarterbacks that aren't as athletic as Lamar, whenever they act like they're going to sneak it straight ahead and then bounce it out, I feel like it has success. But that's my last note on that. Let's jump to Sunday. Chiefs defeat the Texans. Uh, this is probably a game you watched a little bit more than me. But, the hey, the Chiefs covered. I won my yeah. first one straight up. First one straight up in this beer mile playoff pick 'em challenge bet with you. And boy, do they have to come back from a lot to cover. So. <laughs> so, this was your first loss. Chiefs were favored by 10. Okay. They trailed 24 to nothing. And everyone's sitting there going, oh, shit. I made a tweet. It was 21 nothing at the time. And I made the tweet and said, all right, just need the Chiefs to score 31 unanswered and I'll win this bet. 
Well, the Texans got a field goal, made it 24-0, but then the Chiefs responded with 41 unanswered points. Hey, I just asked for 31. They gave me 41. Uh, you know something? You know that someone was sitting there on their couch when it was 24-0, and they were like, <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew the Texans were going to kick the shit out of them. You know someone was sitting there saying that. But yeah, and I was sitting with a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and it, it didn't feel like it was completely out of the picture just because the special teams was their biggest problem in the beginning, and that's what led to two of their touchdowns, the Houston. But we could not have gotten this game more wrong, but also in the same way more right. Because I thought Kansas City was just going to jump to a hot start and be 21 up on the Texans. Yep. But no, it was complete opposite. And I'm finally glad, I'm glad finally, that the Chiefs learned how to use momentum and actually win a playoff game. Yeah, I thought the Chiefs were going to start off like what the Texans did. They would get a couple touchdowns very quickly, and then they would end up settling for a field goal, and that's when the Texans would climb back in. It was the reverse, except the Chiefs didn't climb back in. They flew by them. So it was a it was an absolute shitstorm early for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey drops a first down throw on third down. And the punt gets blocked, returned for a touchdown. I believe that made it 14 nothing. Then uh, another possession, Demarcus Robinson, he drops another first down throw on third down, and he dropped a possible touchdown later in the game. I don't know if he would have made it in, but he looked like it looked like he would have made it in. Tyree Kill of all people muffed a punt that gave the Texans first and goal. Watson connects with Fells on the first play. I believe that made it twenty-one nothing. So like everything was just a shitstorm for the Chiefs. Their receivers couldn't catch the ball. I saw someone make a tweet that they were just kind of honoring Dwayne Bow on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They couldn't catch. They couldn't uh, execute on special teams. They were uh, trailing twenty-four nothing. Mahomes throws five touchdowns. Uh, three of them to Travis Kelsey. The Chiefs took the lead by halftime. Trailing 24 nothing, took the lead by halftime, 28-24. You knew that the Texans were in trouble in this one when the Chiefs made it a 10-point game and Andy Reid's on the sidelines smiling and Mahomes just looks loose as can be. Like, when they got it to 10, like, that Chiefs sideline was just like, oh, we got this. <laughs> you knew the Texans were in trouble right there. Yeah, they just they weren't making any adjustments. They didn't have any pressure on Mahomes. Um, and I would say I was rooting more for Kansas City this game than Houston. I but was too. By honestly, about 10 points. yeah, Houston didn't really look good at all. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins even had a little rib injury, and maybe it would have turned a little bit. But, no, they were saying, oh, you know, uh, Hopkins. Uh, and then um, their other, other wide receiver who has been hurt all year. Um, came back, and they're like, they're going to be dangerous. And really, they were dangerous for 20 minutes, and then the rest, they were nowhere to be found. So yeah, They even they ran a, a trick play the Chiefs did where Sammy Watkins, it was a end around. I believe Mahomes handed it to Kelsey. Kelsey pitched it to Sammy Watkins. Looked like it was going to be the double reverse. Then Watkins goes to throw it. No one opens up, and instead of Watkins just throwing it away, just runs out of bounds for a five-yard loss. And I was Are you like, sure that so, wasn't Hardman? No, I'm pretty sure it was Sammy. I might maybe be wrong. it was. I don't know. Yeah. I remember that play though. Yeah, yeah. So it was just like, all right, nothing's going the Chiefs' way this day. And yeah. but yeah, they ended up uh, 
ended up dominating at the end and put up a 50 burger in three quarters on the Texans. Yeah. Their pass rush was so tired when it was 24, 21, the chiefs were about to score and take the lead in the first half. Like they were showing JJ Watt and he was gassed. He was just like on one knee. He was at the line of scrimmage waiting for the chiefs to come up to the line, but he was just on one knee and he just looked, he looked like me after I try and run like a quarter mile. Like he was just gassed. Yeah. I mean, he had to run like, 30 yards each time each play because that's what the Kansas City does they just they get 30 yards or 20 yards they just get chunk plays every single time so he has got to run back and they can't sub because the Chiefs are going right now so yeah it was uh it was kind of funny to see him just gassed but um other than that this game like you said just Kansas City dominated the second half yeah, so uh, as I said at the beginning, this gave me my first straight up win in the uh, our Pick'em Challenge. I'm a after this game, I was two and five. Nick goes to six and one. His first loss in the Pick'em Challenge. It, all you had to do was win one on Sunday, and I'm eliminated. You already have the challenge one, and I grab my first win. So we go to the next game, Seahawks Packers. So our line was minus five. Okay. Packers won 28-23. The line was minus five. Packers won by five. Now, the line closed at minus four and a half, okay? If we keep the the minus five, it's a push. The line closes at four and a half. Also, you have a four-game lead in this. I think you should just give me this one. Give me a... No. Uh, What are you doing? Why can't I have the things that I want? I think you just give it to me. Just give it. All right, give but it's it. still not a loss for me, though. No, like, no, I'm still a good gambler. No, it has to be a loss. Otherwise, it's over. So I here's, didn't lose. Here's the deal. Yeah, because the line closed at four and a half. You can so have I, it, but I didn't lose. Okay, but on on the pick'em challenge, you did. But not in real life. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, in real life, if you if you were betting real money right now, you'd be six one and one with a push. But, yep. but this is why I want to keep it. This is going to make this interesting, okay? I get the push because, again, it closed to four and a half. I have to win out still to tie you. <laughs> Junior, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to be as easy on you now that you won a game either. So, Oh, I think, I think for the championship game, we'll break that down Thursday. We each okay. pick a winner of the game. Like, I'll pick one side, you pick the other side. And the other one has to just take whoever's left. I'm game. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Which I think you know who I want to win both games. It's difficult. But I'm interested to see what the line will be. Uh, so let's, let's go right into it. Packers, Seahawks. Brian Belaga, Iowa. 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 The you know, you, yeah, take but, the lead, man. You were there. Yeah. So I was at the game. We got into Green Bay at like 1.30-ish. So pre-gamed up until pre-game for about three, three and a half hours. Got a nice little buzz on before we went into the stadium. Got to really take in the town. I mean, it's such a neat experience in Green Bay. You roll in. We parked in a neighborhood. Like, Nick, it looked like I was parking at your house. Like nothing crazy. There's no parking garage. It is just you are in a town 
And then there happens to be a giant ass stadium right there. <laughs> so like we park there, we go, I mean, go to the, uh, where do we start stadium view? I believe this place is awesome. So many characters walking around so many people dressed up again, follow us at the 401 pad. Oh, I'm sorry. At 401 pod. There's no, though we dropped it like Facebook. At 401 Pod, I posted some pictures of me with some characters. One guy was the Frozen Tundra. One guy had a giant hat on that was like five feet long that I said, I think it said Fence Painter. I think. I don't yeah. There's <laughs> there a dude who is a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. And had Hulk hands. <laughs> I don't know what he was going for there, but it was awesome. I hope it's what I think it is. Oh, yes! <laughs> Oh my God, Hulk hands. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was just, it was a really neat experience. I loved every minute of it. I can't wait to go back. It was actually fairly warm. Like my toes got a little cold, but I dressed, I dressed for the tundra. Okay. I brought a lot of clothes. I kind of, I tweeted out my checklist. Did you see that one too? I did see it. Yeah. I was wearing a lot of layers. And they, I said, really, just my toes got cold. So I dressed pretty well for it, but it was, it only got to like, I don't think it dipped below 20. It did snow a little bit in the second half, but very light, no wind. So, I mean, it was like perfect, perfect game to take in. And even better, the Packers got the win. Took down the Seahawks. They're going to the NFC Championship game. I don't think anyone really thought they were going to do that this year. No, like you said, they were kind of like, they weren't sneaky good, but people were actually were underestimating their them because they didn't have the strongest schedule yes they had a decent record 13-3 but they didn't really play anyone like that good and then they lost to um didn't they lose to the titans and chargers and who else nope they lost oh. to the chargers niners and the eagles okay well the eagles. They, lost to the, they lost to the eagles first week four before everyone was hurt Fair and enough. they lost in they lost in kind of a shootout. They had a goal line stand at the end. I kind of that was kind of like LaFleur's learning game because he was trying to run the ball. He was trying to establish the run too much, and the Eagles had one of the best run defenses in the NFL. So he cost him a lot of position uh possessions. And then Devontae Adams got hurt. That was the game he had the turf toe. I believe he was like eleven for 180 yards or something like that. It was something ridiculous. He can't finish the game because of turf toe. So now Rodgers has no receivers. And there was also that controversial no PI that should have been a, a defensive pass interference that led to Rogers interception. So that game honestly could have went either way. They got the shit kicked out of them by the chargers and Niners. And this was <laughs> the lowest spread game. I want to say a divisional, right? Yeah, this, this, that's kind of what's crazy about it. It was a five point game finished at four and a half. So I win, I win the spread, but yeah, this was the closest one. So, what did you think about the game? Obviously, were you scared at all at the end? What happened? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Seahawks were unstoppable in the second half. Uh, my first note, Aaron Rodgers throwing off his back foot. It's like watching Picasso play with his guitar, man. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, he floats it in there like no one else. So, yeah, and then he, I, I kind of... Yeah, well, he can on. thread a needle off the back foot. I mean, like he throws off balance all the time, and then it's just perfect. He did on the touchdown catch uh, to Devontae to open up the game. Uh, I'd have to watch the highlights again. But, I mean, he was thrown off the back foot all the time. And, like, I believe uh, one of Jimmy Graham's, like, clutch catches was off the back foot, and he put it right over the defender's head. 
Was that in the middle of the field? Yes. Yeah. For sure. No, he, I mean, his accuracy is so good. And you're, people are saying that he's not as good as he used to be right now. But honestly, he's still Aaron Rodgers and he can still make the, the top throws. So. Yeah. When we alluded to it on a prior show that, like, yeah, Rodgers isn't elite 100% of the time anymore. Like, he has aged a little bit. But he has, he still has his moments of being elite. And that's kind of all you need in the playoffs. Like, he's not going to make every single throw. He also doesn't have a lot of weapons outside of Devontae Adams. So they're not always going to get open for him. But yeah, when it comes to clutch time, no one's better than Aaron Rodgers. Uh, no one's better than Marshawn Lynch at one yard runs either. Yeah. Lynch, Lynch is not. Did not have very good statistical games since he came back, but when he they were inside five yards, he was a beast. He was beast mode at the goal line. He looked like he was 36 and been drinking tequila all year whenever they weren't at the goal line. Carolina Panthers could use them this year, I can tell you that. The Panthers? Yeah. They oh, lost like they three had... games on the one-yard line. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I was about to say McCaffrey had over 2000 all purpose, but yeah, yeah, you're right there. Um, the Packers, if they could not get a sack, Russell Wilson had at least eight seconds to throw the ball. Like either the Packers got the sack or Wilson got to stand in, you know, in the backfield all day long. And then when the Packers did get pressure, Russell Wilson's pretty slippery because they were, <laughs> they were really struggling. You talk about JJ Watt having to run a lot. After Mahomes, the defensive ends were getting worn out for uh, Green Bay because they couldn't just get to the backfield because as soon as they got in the backfield, Russell Wilson was at the numbers, and then he was at the sideline, and then he made an unbelievable throw. And then the the Smith brothers and whoever else is in there is just like, shit, I'm tired. I just had to run 50 yards, for, and they still got the first down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so obviously this was – a battle of top five receivers too. You had Lockett mm. nine receptions for 136 yards, and that's a that's a typical Lockett Wilson game right there. That's their connection with each other is almost just as good as Devontae Adams and Rodgers. Devontae Adams had eight receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns. So battle of really one yard touchdowns and top five receivers. Yeah, so Adams actually broke the Packers' playoff record for most receiving yards in a game. He was dominant on both touchdowns. I don't know if you if you go back and watch the touchdowns. The first one, he put such a move on the D backs that he actually made them pick each other. Like it looked like. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't remember who was split out with them. Maybe Geronimo, but he they looked like they're about to run a pick play because Adams was on the outside, goes to cut in. Stops on a dime and bounces it back out. And, yeah, basically made the two corners pick each other without without Adams and Geronimo ever crossing. It was beautiful. And then the second one, he's wide open, catches it, bounces it back inside and beats two guys at the end zone. He had a hell of a game. Yeah, so Lockett was 9 of 136-1, and one, like you said. DK Metcalf had four catches for 59 yards. Dude, what the hell are you doing? I'm not doing anything. What are you doing? Well, something <laughs> something sounds terrible on your phone right now. Sounds like I'm, you're just rubbing like two pieces of sandpaper together. Are I you mean, moving? I, no. Are you spinning I'm sitting, around a circle? I am still <laughs> as a statue, man. 
<laughs> it was someone I listening. I heard it though. I heard the, like the static. There's probably like something flying over my house and <laughs> causing some static electricity. I did hear it too. In. Yeah. There's someone listening in on this. <laughs> oh, it, was, it just got really bad there for a second. I thought you yeah. were like running something right next to the phone. Now, well, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to get a mic. Don't worry. Next okay. Week, for sure. Yeah. And if I ever figure out how to work audio equipment, uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit better audio. But this is what we got for now. Uh, but, yeah, so the DK Metcalf averaged 14.8 yards a catch. Lockett averaged 15.1 a catch. So, basically, if the Packers play that soft of coverage again next week, Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel are going to eat. Like They're going to have to tighten up on that. Well, they did one thing they did do well. Russell Wilson was seven. He had seven carries for 64 yards. He almost had 10 yards of carry. If you take away Wilson's rushing, the Seahawks had 17 attempts for 2.6 yards of carry. So they did a very good job against Seahawks run game. Russell Wilson was dangerous. A lot of those, I don't know if he had one designed run. A lot of those were just, you know, freestyling. So the Packers run defense came to play. Their secondary is definitely going to have to improve, but yeah, you're, you're going to have to have your run defense play their best game of the year next week at San Francisco. For sure. It's going to be a shootout, I'm pretty sure. But we'll talk about that, like you said, probably Thursday. Yeah. So another note on Devontae Adams, you know, eight for 160, two touchdowns. It seems like when he's healthy, he's always putting up 100 yards. He played 12 games this regular season, and he was three or four yards shy of a 1,000-yard season, missing four games. So he's been unbelievable. Just imagine how much better he could be if the Packers would actually get a number two wide receiver, take a little bit of coverage off of him. Now, again, Adams' numbers hasn't really been uh, showing any any decline because there's not anyone to help take the pressure off. He had eight. He had, excuse me. He had half of Rogers' completions, eight of sixteen of Rogers' completions. He had two thirds of his yards, I believe. So his numbers have been great, but as an offense, in you know total. They need that second guy to help take off a little coverage of Devontae. I think he'd excel even more because, I mean, they just have a plethora of number threes. And then Alan Lazard has been their second-best receiver. He keeps getting hurt. He went down again in this one. I don't know if he came back. It's kind of tough to see when you're there at the stadium and not able to see the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, you said Lazard, Allison, Valdez, Scantling, yeah, MVS, MVS and Geronimo are have been threes at best. For sure. But, yeah, so the Packers got the ball back with 232 left to go in this one. You know, Pete Carroll, some people thought it was kind of controversial that he even punted the ball there. Packers got the ball back with a chance to seal the game and not give it back. That's what they did. They converted on two crucial third and longs. First one was to Devontae at cross midfield but he was pushed out of bounds, so clock stopped. Then they got another third down inside the two-minute warning, and Rodgers connects with his own Jimmy G, Jimmy Graham, to seal it. Now, again, that one was a little controversial, too. They're talking about it all on ESPN this morning. Was Graham short of the first down marker? Maybe. But there's nothing to overturn that, so it stood. They even reviewed it a second time, saying they got new footage, which is total horseshit. I've never seen that in any other, any other game before, but they still couldn't overturn it. This is the age-old tale of the NFL that somehow they never have enough camera angles to make sure that crucial calls are correct. Honestly, this was probably one of the best refing weeks, and they're still I, they're so like tic tac about uh, 
whether he got the inch that he needed. Like, it's so hard to determine exactly, like you said, where that ball is when his knee hits or whenever it hits. Like, if it's an inch one way or the other, just give it a rest. Like, really, like, I know it's because they lost in a playoff game, but I think the refs actually did a really good job. I can't, comp- I can't say anything bad about them this week. I will say this, that you have to remember that the yellow lines they show on TV are not official lines. That is just the TV, the, uh, you know, that's Fox trying to put the first down marker on the field. Those aren't official. So they're not always correct. And this one, in this case, that yellow line was not in the right spot because they had the first, the Fox first down marker was on the end zone side of the 36 yard line, where if you look, the actual first down marker is on the other side of the 36 yard line. And that's where Jimmy Graham got to. So in my opinion, it was a first down because he got to the actual spot. You just are seeing a line that is off on the broadcast. If you don't think I'm right, well, I don't care. I am right. I think you're right. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. So now Russell Wilson is now 0-4 in his career at Lambeau. So he couldn't win the NFC West. He can't win at Lambeau. Are we giving too much credit to Russell Wilson? People are asking. Are you asking or are people actually asking? There's been been talk. Is Russell Wilson overrated? Absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, I'm just joking there. Russell Wilson probably doesn't get enough credit. He played a hell of a game. Uh, Honestly, the Seahawks almost came back and won this thing, and it was all on Russell Wilson. But the Seahawks have now lost their last nine at Lambeau, I believe. And, yeah, Russell Wilson has yet to win at Lambeau. So the Packers have played very well, and they're they're always just hanging on because, man, he is just – Russell Wilson's so damn good. I'm sure there's people that are worse at Lambeau, too, that have been in the Hall of Fame, probably. Yeah, I just thought you were going to stop at worse at Lambeau, and I was going to name about three people. But yeah, then you said Hall of Fame. So, but yeah, Russell Wilson's unbelievable. Uh, I was obviously just kidding there. All right, that's it for the divisional round preview. How about some more football news? You ready? No. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys for two minutes. Mike McCarthy lied to Jerry Jones. He did not watch every single play last season. He said that, and then in the uh, press conference of announcing McCarthy, they asked him about it, and he came out and said, well, he said, I told Jerry, Jerry Jones, that is, that he watched every single play of the 2019 season, but that was just because he was wanting the job. So McCarthy's lying to Jerry Jones already. That's going to set up for a great relationship. I mean, everyone lies on when they're doing interviews. That's what interviews are for, for lying. Yeah. Yes, some people say they're fluent in Spanish on an interview. Other people say they watched every play of the 2019 uh, NFL season. What if there was a game going on during the interview? Then he would have known he was lying. Ooh, that's a good point. They should have done it during a playoff game. He's probably meaning regular season, though. But, the you know, Jerry Jones is such a stereotype. He is that classic Southern guy who has to use an analogy or a metaphor every time he opens his mouth to talk about something. And I'm actually – I'm going to put a clip in right here about it. So I know you haven't heard it yet. You'll have to go back and listen to it, but I'm going to put this clip in. But that whole press conference, he just kept using analogies. My sister explained to my dad one time when she was explaining why she wanted to divorce. 
and dad loved her husband and he said, what's gotten into you? And she said, I don't hear bells. He said, bells, bells, I hadn't heard bells for the last 30 years. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> well, the bottom line is that's a dad trying to advise his daughter <laughs> on the right move. The bottom line is I heard bells. You got a choice, you can get in that foxhole with somebody that hadn't been shot at, hadn't ever been in a foxhole. You can get in, a, get in there with somebody that's been shot at. Or you can get in there with somebody that's been shot at and hit and still going. Now that's one I want in there with. One more NFL note, Josh McCown. You, you've probably, if you've been on social media, watch uh, the talking heads on ESPN and whatnot, you've seen this already. McCown played the second half of that wild card game against the Seahawks with a torn hamstring off the bone. Played the whole second half with it. The dude is a stud. Doesn't get enough credit. And so what I want to talk about is what's the worst injury you've ever played through? Well, I'm not a I'm not really injury prone. There's been a couple times I've been injured, but I think the worst is just getting hit in the balls in a soccer game and just having to go, having to push through it. <laughs> like I got just kicked. Having... It was I remember I was in the 18 yard box defending on a corner kick, and this guy tried to like I don't know, like scissor kick it almost, and he missed the ball and it got me, you know, right in the nads and it hurt a lot. But you know you got to win that game. You got to get up and you got to push through it. Yeah, I've played through two separate pinky injuries in my life. Two separate, like you separated it, or like just no, two no. pinky injuries. Yeah, each pinky. I've played through an injury to each pinky before. I got I got one jammed in football that I played through. It's actually still messed up. It's a fat pinky now, and it gets like stuck when it's extended. And then that same year in basketball. I got the other pinky caught on a basketball jersey in practice and it pulled it way back. And now I can like stretch out farther than the rest of my fingers. Didn't miss a game with either injury. So, you know, Josh, I feel your pain, man. We've both both played through some pretty gruesome ones. Every time you say like off the bone, I just think of meat. Like, I don't know why, like, like a nice steak or pork chop or something like off the bone. I did actually have a decent injury. I took a line drive off the knee one year when I was pitching and I finished the inning and then they took me out and I was pissed. But yeah, I went right off my knee, actually went off my knee all the way back to the backstop. Wow. My catcher, got it. Yeah. My catcher could have gotten the guy out cause it went right by him, but he was standing there with his jaw dropped after I dropped. <laughs> <laughs> could have got the guy out. Could have had him out, but no. All right. So that's it for the NFL news. But before we're done with the NFL, I want to bring one more thing up. Me and Nick were talking earlier in the weekend, and we are going to do a Super Bowl prop bet challenge. So the chance of me coming back and tying this uh, this beer mile playoff pick'em challenge, this thrashem that I'm putting on you right now. Yeah, it's like the chances of me. Winning is the chances of Kirk Cousins in prime time. So I proposed a challenge to Nick because he was wanting to do some side bets. And so I think we found the best one for the Super Bowl. We are going to do a lot of prop bets, just whatever we come up with. Okay. Whoever wins the most prop bets, 
this is what's going to happen. If I win the prop bet challenge, Nick is going to have to do one lap of my beer mile with me. And so we'll do the first lap together and then I'll just have two more laps after that. So we'll knock it out together. Okay. That's what I get if I win. If I lose, which is most likely, you know, looking back at history, Nick will probably win this challenge. If I lose, I will run the beer mile in a costume. Which is to be determined? To be determined. So okay. what what I think we'll do is we will put up like four costume ideas on Twitter at 401 pod. We'll let we'll let the people decide. They will vote on it and that will decide what I run the beer mile in. I hope we I might even pitch in some money if it's uh an embarrassing costume that you have to wear for the smile yeah i have one already that i'm scared would win if we end up voting letting it like up for the vote i haven't decided yet if i want to do it uh but that one won't have to pay any money we also need a good location for the beer mile so if you know an area in the uh or a spot in the cape Girardeau area where i could run some laps and drink some beer at the same time please let me know because we will be filming this and putting it on our twitter so yeah, if you have for, any ideas, let us know at 401pod, send us a DM, or at TanderWard7, at Indushkit47. Preferably where children aren't going to be, because there might be some vomit. One of The, the <laughs> costumes are pretty skinny, so... Uh, yeah, there's yeah, definitely going to be vomit, and yeah, I'm probably showing off some skin with these costumes. I just have a feeling. For sure. So yeah, no school, no church. None of that. At least 500 yards away from a school or church, please. <laughs> <laughs> Something might pop out of his uh, clothes and <laughs> scar, kid. All right. Enough about that. We have a football game tonight. LSU Clemson. All right. I want to do another bet on this. I don't even know if we should put anything on it, but I just want to bet something. Okay. So let's talk about the game real fast. How about a oh. six-pack of beer? Ooh, then now that I do like that one. All right, okay. six pack of beer. Uh, both teams are undefeated. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game. We're talking both quarterbacks are probably the next two number one overall picks. Joe Burrow in this upcoming draft. Trevor Lawrence the year after that, most likely. I I want to throw this out there. I will take. I think we should come out with our own line and make that the bet because right now the line's only like seven. Okay. Is it seven? I don't know. I actually haven't pulled it up yet. All right. I will take LSU by ten and a half. LSU by ten and a half? Yeah. All right. You want to give me nine and a half or ten and a half? Which one are you more comfortable with? Um, field goals aren't really that important in college. I'll give you I'll give you the nine and a half. Okay. So I'm pretty sure they have a one-score line right now. It's minus five LSU. Oh, shit, yeah. Let's just just about double it, but we'll do with a half point. So minus nine and a half, I will take LSU for a six-pack of beer. So I pretty much have to go Clemson then, right? Yeah. As long as they don't lose by double digits. What if I one-up you, though, on LSU and say minus 14? Whoa. So then I would basically just have to take Clemson plus 14. Well, yeah, whatever. I mean, we could still 
kind of both take LSU, but our spreads would be the one doing it. The well, I mean, wins. We can't both take LSU minus the number. I would just have to take Clemson plus 14 and hope that LSU wins by less than 14. So if I do LSU 14, you would do Clemson. I would have to do Clemson plus 14. Yeah. 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 I, w- I really want LSU. I confused I think myself gonna... there for a long time, and I was just yeah. going with it. <laughs> put, your, put your brain in a pretzel. I was like, wait, what? I don't know. What yeah. All right. So you put your has, brain in a pretzel yeah, there. Whoever is more willing. Jesus, I, I'm terrible. My brain is off right now. Whoever is willing to put more points up for LSU winning this game will pick LSU, and the other person has to pick Clemson. So okay. you won't go over 14, right? Uh, I I think LSU is going to kick the shit out of them. I know, right? But uh, 14, I kind of want to take – are you going to go any higher? I might go 15. I will take Clemson plus 15. All God right. damn it. Let, let's do uh, it. All right. God damn it. I got to quit betting. <laughs> I can't believe I got the LSU. I thought you were going to stick with them the whole time, but yeah. But at the same time, like this playoff pick'em challenge has taught me anything. It's like you got to take some dogs. All right. I mean, yeah, they're only favored five right now. I think maybe five and a half. No, it's just five. That's not. I mean, they think it's going to be a tight game. Then I think what's get, keeping the line close is that Clemson has like the best defense in the FSC or in the FBS. Sorry, I get confused sometimes. We all do. <laughs> it's just acronyms, man. They're just they're so close together. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think it's because Clemson has like they're either number one or two in the nation in basically like every defensive category. And then LSU on the counter side is number one or two in basically every offensive category. So I think that's why they're keeping Clemson in this. Plus you have you have the high end defense plus Trevor Lawrence never lost a game. I think that's why the line is so close. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. just looking at both their their stats, um, like quarterback wise, uh, Lawrence has thirty six touchdowns, eight interceptions. Burrow has fifty five touchdowns, six interceptions. Jesus. Their their run game is actually. Clemson's run game is a little bit better. Yeah, they have and a better then, run yeah. back. And then receiving top receiver for LSU Chase has almost 400 more yards and five more touchdowns than their top guy. Well, yeah, when when Burrow's going to have that many that kind of number, he they're going to the receiver's yeah. going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. So. I will take I will take Clemson with a 15 points there and just hope that it's a tight game. But I really kind of think this could be like Bama Notre Dame. Yeah. Oh my God, that was that the was most terrible. Boring, the most boring national championship game ever. Yep. Okay. So one thing we were wanting to do, we ended up not doing it yesterday, was we were going to do some live segments from a from a tailgate from me at a Lambeau tailgate. Uh, never really happened. Could just I could never really find a good spot to do it. I was going to have to go out in the street and it just it never really worked out because it was it was so damn loud everywhere. Do they close off the all things, the streets? Uh, I mean, no, there was cars driving all over the place. 
Okay, you would have got hit by a car then. So good thing you didn't do that. Uh, I can I can bob and weave. All right. <laughs> but one of the one of the segments we wanted to do was the best tailgate moments. And me and Nick, both SEMO alums, we've both tailgated a lot of games together. Uh, do you have any moments? I have two. Did you yeah, ever think of one? I did think of one. So I went. I'm a big Nebraska fan too. So uh, me, my brother, my dad, and two, my two brothers, my dad and some of his friends went up to Champaign, Illinois, uh, to go see a Nebraska, Illinois football game. And there is absolutely probably maybe a couple teams that are a little bit better traveling than Nebraska in football. So we went to Champaign, and they had like obviously a designated Nebraska tailgate spot. So we go to that one, and it is it's just so awesome just seeing all these Nebraska fans, and it's like I've never fit in more in one place in my life than that tailgate. Everyone's friendly. We had good food, drink. It was awesome. That's how I felt yesterday. That was by far the greatest tailgate experience of my life at Lambeau. Like I said, you had all these people dressed up all crazy, walking around. Everyone's on the same team there. Well, there actually was surprisingly a lot of Seahawks fans there. But, I mean, no one was really chirping back and forth. It was it was pretty good atmosphere. And that was just absolutely amazing, plus this, the town experience itself too. But I have two stories. I'll go through them quick. They're actually, I'm not going to say their names, but they're a brother and a sister. And this is two separate tailgates. Okay. So one of them at a tailgate, I witnessed, she had a, a little too much to drink. These were both homecomings, by the way, where SEMA homecomings, we got a little rowdy, got a little rowdy. Uh, I watched one year that uh, I watched this girl had a little too much to drink and had to uh, had to yak a little bit. And there is about 50 yards of grass behind our tailgate, right? Running alongside this building. There are literally endless places to throw up. She grabs a plastic Walmart bag and decides to puke into the bag while leaning in someone's truck. <laughs> literally has like this entire field to throw up, decides to throw up in a truck thinking no one was going to see her. But whenever you're convulsing, like hanging with just your head inside a window, it's pretty obvious what you're doing. The biggest problem was there was a hole in that bag. There's <laughs> always holes in that bag. <laughs> yeah. So there is literally puke like leaking all over this truck. And I happened to see it pulled her out of there. And basically told her to go take a lap because she was getting puke everywhere. Uh, and then my next one was, it was probably a couple years later. And, oh, hold on. I just got the Astros. Breaking news, Astros suspensions have been laid down. Do you want to pause it and read it? Yeah, I'm going to read it right now. Oh, go on. AJ Hinch, manager AJ Hinch, and GM Jeff Lunhow both suspended for a year. Oh, let's go! Both out for a year. I still like some of mine better. Yeah, if you for sure. if you didn't listen to episode three, go back and listen where I laid down my Astros punishment thoughts. So no draft picks, though. Uh, no draft picks. It looks like, but. 
And yeah, I thought they should have lost a draft pick, not getting draft pick compensation, basically. Uh, Justin Verlander had to throw left-handed. They bring the hill back just for when the Astros are in the field. Oh, Crawford boxes were automatic outs. Yeah. Did you hear that ESPN update on my phone? I didn't hear it, no. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, oh, draft <laughs> turn off my sound. But Okay, back to the tailgate stories. This is another funny one. Um, one of my buddies, I always, every homecoming, I like to make a little apple pie. You know, a little apple juice, apple cider, and uh, um, I'm blanking on the booze right now. Everclear. Everclear, yeah. Mix all that in, makes a delicious drink, gets on top of you real quick when you are my buddy who decides to chug half a glass. I put it in mason jars, chug half the jar, snatch the jar out of my hand, and take another three, four-second goal. And then it wasn't five minutes later, he couldn't stand up off the cooler he was sitting on or construct a full sentence. <laughs> so he was basically confined to that cooler and it was 10:30 in the morning. And he's a big dude. He's no he's no small where you can just move him and you know, set him to the side. He's he's a pretty big dude. Yeah, he's not a feather. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, he was kind of stuck to that cooler, but uh that's probably a, a little tailgate moment I won't forget. That was a pretty good one. I mean, yours is – I do like it when I see drunk people, but, like, I've been scarred too many times being at Mardi Gras or St. Patrick's Day and, like, people throwing up at, like, 8 a.m. and you don't even have an appetite yet, and you're like, well, <laughs> I'm questioning my life if, sh- if I should be here or not. But, no, yeah, I love tailgating. I love, you know, tossing pigskin with you and everything. And there's not – like, if you have some food – some beers, a place to sit. Tailgating is one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. So. We got about 15 minutes to wrap this up. We have, what, four segments to get through and then yep. the Cardinal talk. And now the Cardinal talk can be pretty quick. It doesn't have to be like, it's not going to be extremely extensive, but I want to get it out today in case a move happens. I want to at least have something out there. Okay. Okay. First, first one we're going to do though, this was actually a segment you wanted to do. And it is the legendary segment. It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Legendary. So basically, what ordinary things are we elite at? So just an everyday thing, but you excel better better at it than anyone else. So uh, Aaron, have- I want to actually expand that too. So like if you were a legend at a party or something too, like, Oh, okay. maybe I did. Like, I went 15 0 at beer pong. I was a legend that day, and everyone was like, Oh, yeah, you're so good. My legendary okay. moment. Oh, okay, go ahead. Was I, uh, I was at Harristow. That's college. Um, it was my first year. I went to go visit my buddy, but Harristow got off like a week before everyone with everything, like their spring break, winter break, end of the year. So I had pretty much just a full week to do whatever the hell I wanted. So I went to go visit my buddy at his college at Culver Stockton. And I was supposed to be there just for the weekend, really. I stay there seven days. I didn't I did not poop once that seven days because their food was just so bad. And I just got stocked up. All we drank was Congress vodka oh, and like natty ice. That made me a little nauseous thinking of that. So, anyways, I think 
all I did there was drink, play zombies. Ooh, little Call of Duty. Beer Black dive. Ops. Black Ops Two. Black yep. Ops One. Two. Nice. It's a good one. It Beer was. Dive. So I, they every time I see one of them now, they're just like, "Oh my god, you're a legend!" I can't believe you stay there for seven days, like at their frat house, and that's. I mean, to, I'm not joking. Like, they will come up to me and talk about that week that I stayed there, and we just had the best time ever. Nice. So I kind of ran with this segment a little bit differently. And I, I expected uh, you to because I kind—I didn't really explain it as well, but yeah. I will out in the future. I will tell things that I'm actually think I'm legend at. Yeah, you didn't finish the whole thought when you told me the segment, so I kind of ran with it. But to go with your thing, uh, I do have a couple party ones. They're not they're not anything like that. But uh, with the with the uh, beer pong, uh, you were kind of mentioned that at the beginning. I have I had a stretch there of about one or two years where I just it was a rarity for me to lose, no matter who my partner was. And there were probably three times that I can think of where like everyone at the party just quit playing beer pong because we were on the table for so long. I hated playing you. I did. (laughs) So that was one thing I excelled at. Um, Oh, one time me and a buddy played chandelier pong, which is where you stack the cups up as you go. So we played like, I think you start with like 10 on the bottom and then the next like stack six on top of it, three and then one or something like that. I don't remember exactly how it goes. It's been a while since I played, but I played a buddy one time and you have to completely clear one row before you can go to the, the row below it. And I shut my buddy out. I won before he could clear the top one. <laughs> it's just one sitting on top too. And I, I shut him out, pitched a shutout and chandelier pong. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was also pretty elite at, bags at cornhole when we lived together yeah i don't i don't think anyone ever beat me when we were roommates i think you should just put legendary at yard games and drinking games (laughs) i was good me and nick we used to play one-on-one and i would throw left-handed i'm right-handed i would throw left-handed to try and make things interesting sorry nick that i told everyone that but i'm better now don't worry all right, so here's the two things I actually had written down to go with this segment. Uh, one thing I think I'm a lead at, I know just a ton of random sports facts. Like someone will be talking about a sport or a moment or a year, especially if it's after the year 2000, I can rattle off a bunch of facts about it. I would agree. That's yeah, why we I did can, this. I can also name every World Series winner since 2000. So that's just another one I have. Yeah. Um, oh, here's my last one. When I'm carrying a plate of food or like a drink in like an open cup, I can do a little thing where I act like I'm tripping, like I flat tire myself, <laughs> act like I'm tripping. And I'm spilling the food or drink all over someone sitting down and they jump every time. I'm elite at that move, at that maneuver right there. Yeah, but you've also spilt more drinks on me than any other person I've known in my life. So I don't trust but, you at all. That's not that's not when I'm doing that bit though. That's just when I've had when I've had a little too much to drink and you're standing too close to me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you for that still, actually. 
Okay. Well, with that in mind, let's go to the next segment. Ban it. We are going to pick something to ban. Oh, uh, Astros. Oh, here we go. We got more, actually. Astros also fined $5 million and will be losing draft picks. Okay. Now we're talking. Yeah. So that's that sounds a lot better now. So they are coming down very hard on the Astros, as they should. But now let's ban something. Just like uh, Lunhow and um, A.J. Hinch just got banned for a year. <laughs> let's each pick something to ban. All right, you go first. All right, I am banning space movies. <laughs> space movies? I watched uh, Ad Astra this weekend. Yeah, with Brad Pitt. Terrible. It is really. It was and Tommy so Lee Jones? boring. Yeah, mm. they just done it all. Like I'm not excited to see space movies anymore. Every big actor I know needs to do one, but I'm just I'm done with them. Really getting lost in space and everything. Basically, they try and make every space movie like a super. It has to be one. It has to be super long. Two. It has to be like this epic drama. I don't think they've done like a space comedy since like that Tim Allen movie. What was that one that he was in? Space comedy. Yeah. There's Tim like Spaceballs, and then there was like Tim Allen did one, like Lost in Space or something. I don't know. There's what? a hitch. The, what is it? Galaxy's Guide something. I can't oh, remember. Hitch, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, that was kind of funny. I don't know if I've seen that. What is the Tim Allen space movie? No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Are you sure you're I'm thinking gonna... of Tim Allen? Like that's the right guy? Yeah, that's Tim Allen. Galaxy Quest. Oh, I, yeah, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> 1999. It also has Professor Snape in it, I believe. Nice. R.I.P. R.I.P. And Sigourney Weaver. She has made her living with sci-fi space movies. All right, so- Sir. All right, here's what I'm banning. It's actually who I'm banning. You ready? Yeah. Booger McFarlane. I couldn't agree more. And he got him to safety too quick. That's an excuse, Goodell. Also, now, you don't always have to say, are you ready to me? Because I'm always ready. All right, are you ready for my point? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Tony Romo is the prized free agent broadcaster this offseason. Uh, his deal is up with CBS, where he has dominated the last two years as a color guy. There's a report out there that says ESPN prepared to offer him a contract to make him the highest paid broadcaster in sports. So, $14 million, right? A year? I, I do not know. but I think I saw yeah. that number today. And if that is the number, that's nothing to sneeze at, man. That is a lot of money. He's He's going to be making more money to call Matt rule on Monday night football than Matt rules making for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So goodbye, Booger McFarlane. If they are able to sign Tony Romo and then Monday night football might actually be good. Get Tony Romo, have Kevin Harlan do play by play Romo do color Pat McAfee, third guy in the booth or on the field. You think that the, is the, that's the most electric broadcast booth right there. Here's a thought too. Mm-hmm. Since uh, Eli is probably going to retire, the Manning brothers in a booth together. Ooh, what if they like they kind of talk? I mean, Peyton's interesting, but I feel like Eli would talk really slow. 
Nah, he'll learn it. He can't be worse know, than man. Booger. I will. I will be interested if it's all three of them. You put uh, Cooper in there as well, and I'm in. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's go to who's flying high this week. You have no idea how high I can fly. I am a peacock. You gotta let me fly. I have one, then you can go, and then I have two more after that. I got three. You ready? Jesus. Well, all right. Let me do two first. Uh, okay. all, the, all the crazy people who dressed up at the Packers games. Okay. I love you guys. If you went all out, face paint, uh, whatever else you're wearing, I love you. Check out on Twitter and Instagram. I also put my Instagram. I think it's like Tanner underscore Ward seven. I have yeah. a bunch of pictures on there too, but also on Twitter. Check them out. Uh, my next one is Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson. So if you were watching football this weekend, each uh, former NFL coach was told they're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame while live on air. And you got to see these guys who used to control locker rooms of grown men in a violent sport just like get choked up and break down a little bit because of just how much that meant to them. It was awesome TV. It was cool to see. So Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson, welcome to the Hall of Fame. And you guys are flying high this week. I thought Jimmy Johnson was going to have a heart attack right there. It, he was like wheezing. Like, like, are you going to die? Like, what is going on? Yes. All right. All right so this is a 401 first. I'm flying high, Tanner, with my playoff picks. I feel like you're copying me because I was idiot of the week last week. Exactly. Now you're flying high. So we've had an idiot of the week. And we're, honestly, we could both be on idiot of the week every week. But – it That's takes true. something special to be fly high of the week. And I think I deserved it. <laughs> okay. Well, what's you're my, six and two. What's my real, well, my real record is seven and one. Let's be honest. Or uh, seven, six, one, one. Yeah, six and one with a push. So. Okay. All right. Yeah, you deserve it because you would be hella rich right now if you actually were throwing them bets down. I know, right? Um, here is my last fly high. Uh, pardon my take crew, big cat and PFT commenter. Here's why. Uh, big cat called the Ravens frauds after their week four loss to Cleveland. They got stomped first round of the playoffs. Uh, and PFT, they do a dun chain. He dun chained the Vikings early this year. And even though they upset, um, the saints, they got stomped by the Niners. So, their calls looked premature. They ended up right at the end of the year. I feel like that's worthy of uh, making the fly high this week. That just makes me sad because now I, I wanted to see Saints and San Fran again. Hey, but we now got Packers, so we're good. I mean, I still – that was an awesome game during, during the season, that uh, New Orleans-San Fran game. That was an awesome one. Uh, yeah. That would have been a good rematch for the divisional round. So, yeah. Yeah. But if the Saints would have won, they would have went to Lambeau. So. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up Idiot of the Week. Idiot. If I were an idiot, I'd be driving a Trans Am. If you were driving a Trans Am, you would be the smartest idiot in the whole world. <clears throat> idiot. <clears throat> You're the idiot. Who do you have, Nicholas? Okay. I have... <clears throat> Sorry. I have two. Do you okay, want so me to do I, one then? One each? Yeah. All right, you go. Start off with uh, Julian Edelman. 
for getting arrested for vandalism. He just got <laughs> a little bit too intoxicated, probably, and started dancing on a Mercedes hood. So. I saw. I just saw he like jumped on it. I didn't see he danced. Like I was picturing he was just like, "Hey guys, you want to see my vertical?" And then he just like no. one step jumped on top of this Mercedes and just dented the shit out of the hood. All right, I might have been thinking something else of dancing, but that's kind of where I thought when I saw the vandalism, him denting the hood. So, oh no, that was just my thought. I didn't see oh, anything okay. behind it. No, I just that's what I was picturing. All right, yeah, okay. no, uh, I mean, my not that it matters to him money wise, but yeah, you got to yeah. He'll be fine. Yeah, my idiot of the week. My first one is Dave Gettleman. Here's another guy that could be idiot of the week every week. He is the uh, GM for the Giants, New York Giants. And uh, first off, it was about a week ago, he was talking about uh, how he hired in some computer folks into his analytics department. We have, we're in the process of, we've hired four computer folks. So you know you're a terrible NFL GM whenever you refer to your analytics department as computer folks. He topped that up with, uh, he was being interviewed and said that he thinks that running the football wins games and puts you in the playoffs because week 17 on Sunday night football, the NBC put up a graphic that showed how the top four run teams, the NFL were all in the playoffs. And so instead of Dave Gettleman realizing that, Hey, these teams are winning games more than anyone else. That's why they're running the ball late. He thought, oh, you have to run the ball to win games. And he's probably watching the Titans like roll through <laughs> New England and uh, and Baltimore. And now he's just like that. Uh, uh, what's the dad in South Park? That meme. <laughs> he's like laid back in the chair. My mom wouldn't let me watch South Park. Dude, shut up. I, I just ruined that whole thing. Honestly, she did not let me. So I never really watched it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you know what meme I'm talking about, though, right? If not, forget it. But yeah, so he actually cited a graphic on Monday Night Football thinking that's how teams win games by running the football instead of realizing that winning games causes more rush attempts. So Dave Gettleman, you're an idiot of the week. Actually, you're basically an idiot every week. All right. What's your next one, Nick? Uh, my next one, if anyone is a hockey fan, is Matthew Kachuk. So they were playing the Oilers, and he's on the Flames. And he got a couple good hits on Zach Cassian. And Zach Cassian is probably about a foot taller and, like, just a big dude to beat anyone up. So I'm asking Chuck, first of all, idiot of the week, because he picked the wrong guy to mess with. At the end of the game, Zach Cassian grabbed Chuck and just started wailing on him. And... <laughs> Kachuk didn't even drop his gloves to fight back. He just let it happen. And it was it was like a grown man throwing a doll around. Like it was that bad of a look. Cassian ended up calling him a pussy in the interview on TV after the game too, <laughs> which is awesome. He should have been my fly high, really. But yeah. Yeah, I was about to say you're dogging yeah. on Kachuk the whole time, but it sounds like Cassian should have got more props for this. And all his all Matthew Chuck could say is like, yeah, we'll take that penalty any day to win a game. Yeah, no. you know. No. Yeah. That <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Matthew Chuck is the most hated player in the NHL right now, and he's probably going to take a lot more beatings this year, that's for sure. 
How old is he? I can't imagine he's over 24. Okay. So Brady's the younger one then, right? Brady is the younger one, yeah. Okay. Uh, My last idiot of the week was the dude sitting to my left at Lambeau Field. Why is so, that? All right. Here's the story. In the This dude was way too drunk. Like, he... I don't understand. Like, if you're going to go to a game, especially a playoff game, I don't get people who get overly trashed and sloshed before they even get in the stadium. So in the first half, he is like flailing his arms around every time he's talking and stuff. And he kept hitting the dude's hat standing in front of him. And I can't believe the dude in front of him didn't beat his ass. So he turned around two or three times. And like the second time he was like, Hey, quit hitting my hat. And the like kid didn't even acknowledge him. He was probably younger than me, honestly. And so then the third time he did it, that dude turned around with like, you could see it in his eyes of like, I'm about to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and the lady standing next to him, like calmed him down and told him not to do it and turn him back around. Cause it, I mean, it's a Packers playoff game. You know, you don't want to like start shit and miss the game and get maybe kicked out of Lambo because of that. So then fourth quarter rolls around. There's probably eight. I don't know. There might've been like 11 minutes left. And everyone's standing up and I look to my left and this dude's sitting down and he's hunched over. And my first thought was like, all right, this dude's like so drunk. He's about to pass out. Nope. Starts throwing up right there. Just start right there. I'm like, dude, like you made it through three quarters of the game. Now you're throwing up in the stands idiot of the week, but that's not it. So I watch him throw up once he throws up a second time. I have to sit there the rest of the or stand there the rest of the game. I gotta smell it. Yeah. The rest. I was standing there. I was like talking to Jen and actually like had to like cut myself off from talking because it like I gagged at one point. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just stop mid sentence because it like the smell hit me too hard. Uh, but it went underneath the bleachers onto the people stand, sitting in front of him. So, like, they were sitting on a blanket. He got it all over their blanket, all over the pants of two ladies. Would not admit he did it. They, like, turned around. It's like, did you throw up? Wouldn't say a word. He just kind of shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> like, he would not admit it. So, he gets the stamp of idiot of the week. I hope he never goes back to Lambeau. I actually said it whenever he uh, kept hitting the dude's hat. I turned to Jen and said, this dude, he he makes any fan base look bad. Like, every fan base has those obnoxious people. And, yeah, he makes any fan base look bad. Also, earlier in that game, there was a Seahawks fan sitting in front of us to the right a little bit, and he kept chirping him after every play. Like, every time the Packers got a first down, he would, like, chirp at him. It's like, come on, man. Like, calm down. Sounds, sounds like Kansas City Royals fan. <laughs> Are I you mean, a – are you a narc if you – I mean, they have, like, a, a text line, don't they, where you can, like, say, like, oh, this guy needs medical help or something? Are I you don't, a narc if you tell on someone like that? If the dude's throwing up in the bleachers, hell no. Get him the hell out of there. Uh, one of the ladies who got puke on her, she went to go find a guy. She, uh, when she came back, though, he was already gone. Like, uh, okay. finally, one of, his, uh, one of his posse had ex- escorted him out. <laughs> but yeah, he was about to get his ass beat. Like the whole, the entire section around him was looking at him and like obviously talking about him. And I was going to say props to him a little bit of just looking straight forward and completely ignoring all that. 
even though he deserved every bit of it. But honestly, I don't even think he knew where he was at that point. So <laughs> he doesn't get any props from me at all. I hope that dude is never allowed back in Lambeau Field again. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, so he gets idiot of the week. Uh, that is it for the segments. So let's move on to just a little bit of Cardinal talk. Uh, I'm not fully prepped for this. Uh, what my goal was, I wanted to write an article and put it on our Twitter. Uh, I haven't really, because of football all weekend, haven't really got to dig into it as much as I would like, but I want to, I will be, as long as the trade doesn't happen, the Cardinals are front runners now for Nolan Arnado. If you don't know that. Uh, so unless the trade happens at the beginning of this week, uh, I will hopefully have this post out. What I want to do is put together some trade packages of what I think the Cardinals will have to give up to be able to get Nolan Arnado. So I started prepping this, but I want to go ahead and talk about it a little bit anyways. Okay. So I was digging into the Rockies organization a little bit. <clears throat> their top three prospects in the organization, their one through three are all infielders. So, one, I know one of them's third base, one of them is second slash shortstop, and the other one might have been third base. I don't know. But they also, like, Trevor Story's locked at shortstop. They have Ian Desmond, Daniel Murphy, Ryan McMahon, who can all play first. Garrett Hampson, McMahon, and Brendan Rodgers, the, their top prospect, can all play second. They also have two guys right now, Josh Fuentes and Tyler Nevin, listed as third baseman. My point in all that being, if we give up Arnato. I don't know if the Rockies are really interested in another infielder right now because my initial thought that was that one of Tommy Edmund, Colton Wong, Paul DeYoung would have to be in the trade. Now I'm not sure because it looks like second base is a log jam for Colorado. Story's locked up at short. So maybe DeYoung for third, but they have so much coming up for third base. So I feel like they might want a stopgap player there. Uh, they might also... One of our top prospects is Nolan Gorman, third baseman. I was looking. The Cardinals also have a plethora of third basemen in the organization. Four of our top 10 prospects, according to Baseball Prospectus, four of our top 10 prospects are all third basemen, with Nolan Gorman being the number two in the organization. So I feel like we could give up Nolan Gorman. We still have depth. All right. We made that trade for... I'm going to try his name again. Matthew Liberator. <laughs> Did you ever figure out how to pronounce it? No. All right. So I'm just going to call him Liberator. And if I'm botching it, screw it. He could be flipped. All right. Or I feel like either one of, well, I'm going to call him Libs. Okay. Oh, Matty Libs. One of Matty Libs and Dakota Hudson probably gone for Arnado. Okay. That's one. Two is probably going to be one of Nolan Gorman, Paul DeYoung, Colton Long, Tommy Edmond. All right. There's two. Three, you're probably talking Andrew Neiser, our top catching prospect. So we also, with Matty Libs, we got back a low end catching prospect. Kind of talked about that, um, I believe, on the last show, maybe. But we have added more catching depth to our to our prospects, basically. So now we can afford to give up one of our uh, top catching prospects, which Neiser is number four for us. And we don't have another catcher in the top 10, but we do have a pretty high one. Yeah, your, your, your unpreparedness is like 
me preparing for 10 hours and still being feeling like I'm unprepared. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, a, I'm not prepared to put the article out, I guess is what I'm saying. I haven't done all my research yet, but this is where I got so far. I already have a list of like who I think our trade pieces are. Um, Dylan Carlson's another really interesting name. I don't think the Cardinals will want to give up, but I think the Rockies are, will ask for two names. I think the Rockies will ask for and Cardinals will say no to Dylan Carlson, Giovanni Gallegos. I think the Rockies will want Gallegos in this deal and the Cardinals will say no, they need to hold on to Hicks and Gallegos for the bullpen. But I think one of Hudson and, uh, Matty Libs is gone. I do think one of Norman, Nolan Gorman, Paul DeYoung, Colton Long, Tommy Edmonds gone. Very real possibility that we also throw in our young first baseman prospect, Luke and Baker. Uh, and then again, I think we're probably throwing a catching prospect in Andrew Neiser. The last piece, there's actually two last pieces to this. So one, I originally considered him a throw-in, but now after looking, he's still listed as our number one prospect in the organization. And that is Alex Reyes. So I think oh. he's a very, I think he's a very interesting piece. And I think if the Rockies are willing to accept him in this deal, you do it. Uh, but yeah, he's still got a lot of. I mean, he had one bad year, but he's still. I mean, he's the number one in the organization for a reason. He's still got a bright future ahead of him. So I think Alex Reyes is probably a part of this deal. And the last throw in, I think if the Rockies will take the money, like you're still going to have to do like three solid prospects. And then Matt Carpenter. Okay. So three solid prospects, at least one of them pitching and Matt Carpenter, if they'll take the money, there's also the chance that we are able to put Carpenter in the deal, but take some of his contract. So for those who don't know, like we're still paying for the majority of Mike Leake's contract when we traded him to Seattle. Like this is, I think this is his last year on the books for us, but we are still paying like, Eight million for Mike Leak right now. Um, yeah, all I heard really was it, it's most likely going to be just like a, a pitching heavy trade for yeah. Arnardo. But yeah, there's definitely going to be other pieces in it that aren't pitching. I like that Alex Reyes actually. I don't. I don't mind giving him up, just because. I mean. Yes, it is still one thing to throw hard in this league and be effective, but his health, you know, I don't really – I remember him having a decent curveball, I think. But, yeah, he. I, I just don't think that we'll be losing a lot if we didn't keep Alex Reyes. Well, I mean, again, people forget he's the number one prospect in our organization for a reason. He's an amazing pitcher. He just had a bad year his first year up in the league. It happens all the time. So there's a chance Alex Reyes could still be a stud. Uh, it is kind of a shame we lost him. We lost him for half a season because he got banned for marijuana. And now that is not a t- tested drug in the MLB. So that kind of sucks. But Did yeah. he get hurt too? Yes. Uh, Did he tear he- something? Taurus Peck. He had yeah. Peck. So, yeah, it's probably going to be Reyes, one of Hudson and Matty Libs. Two other names to consider pitching is Henesis Cabrera and Daniel Ponce de Leon. So, you're talking Reyes and then one of the other four I talked about for pitching. Okay. Then you're probably talking an infielder, uh, the catching prospect, like I said, Andrew Neiser, and then hopefully Matt Carpenter. So, yeah. you're, you're honestly like not 
scared, I feel like, to send pitching to Colorado. Because one thing you're always scared of is giving up a prospect that turns out to be super elite, and now you look bad in the trade. And especially if you trade away a pitcher before their prime, it's like, well, shit, we could have had this guy for 10 years as an elite pitcher. I feel like that doesn't really go with Colorado because pretty damn tough to be an elite pitcher in Colorado. So, yeah, Alex Reyes, send back another one of those pitching prospects I talked about. Send back, uh, like I said, Carpenter, Andrew Neiser, and then maybe like a Luke and Baker. So... That's yeah. five guys right there. So maybe maybe take out an infield prospect. Carpenter, Neiser, two pitchers, including Alex Reyes. You might have it right there. But And then if you throw in one more prospect, they'll probably take Carpenter's contract. If you only make it three prospects in Carpenter, you probably got to pay half to two-thirds of his salary. Yeah. So you know what I'm thinking. And we, I did, was reading we do have the cap space to afford Arenado's ridiculous contract that he just signed on his extension. So... Yeah, especially and giving away all that too. So, um, yeah, I I mean, I want to hear and read a little bit more about it, but it's got to happen soon, right? Like, it can't just go yeah. on all off season. It's got to be. What What's your think? Your timetable is for this? End of the week. Really? If it's going to happen, I feel like it's going to happen now because they're in preliminary preliminary talks right now. Boy, that's tough for to say sometimes. But <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind of thinking end of the week. A uh, deal gets done. I could be completely wrong there, but well, yeah, we, hopefully we can talk about it Thursday too. So, so. Yeah, so the Cardinals actually have slight leverage in this. One is that the Rockies gave Arenado such a huge contract that you know, like I said, you're basically taking on thirty million a year or something like that. So they're like, okay, we have to take all this money on. Uh, another leverage piece is that if you're giving all those prospects up, I feel like you can get them to take money like Carpenter's contract off the books. Because I think it's only the next two years, 2021. Again, not sure. I haven't finished all my uh, all my research for this. So, yeah, I think call it leverage, if you will, but the Cardinals do have a couple counterpoints that could uh, could help them make this deal. Honestly, when's the last time the Cardinals traded for a superstar and ended up giving up a future star in the making? Like when we got Holiday back, I don't feel like we gave anything up there. Uh, when we traded for Goldschmidt last year, that was a steal of a trade, and that was because his contract was running out. So yeah, I feel like we have done a very good job of trading away, you know, pieces that weren't going to turn out nearly that good and always get the best player back. So it's going to yeah, be interesting. I mean, like I said, the next week is going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think like just from like last year, I, I can't think too far ahead right now. Cause like I said, I'd probably have to do some research, but Luke Voigt with the Yankees was a perfect fit. And I like, who do we even get for that? Giovanni Gallegos. Oh, never mind. All right. Yeah. So, so like said, we got we got Chase and Shreve. We needed a left-handed reliever for that year, so we got Shreve. Then they threw us Gallegos, who was a very raw pitching prospect in the minors. And then the thing with Luke Voigt is, you got to remember, we didn't have a spot for him. Carpenter was playing first at the time. If we didn't trade – if Voigt would have got that hot for us, we would not have traded for Goldschmidt. So you got to realize, we dumped Voigt off. And we're able to – it didn't look good the first year, but Gallegos ended up being an absolute stud. 
So I think it's actually paid off. Freed up the spot for Goldie. Now we have an elite back end of the game kind of reliever. So, yeah, that that's one of those trades where it didn't look good the first year, but it's looking good right now. All right. Is that it? That's all, man. We ran kind of long there, but had a lot to talk about. So it was a fun divisional week. I had a great time at Lambeau. I can't wait to go back sometime in the near future. Uh, but, yeah, good show, man. I think that was about it. Is this going to be close to two hours? Uh, Probably not too far off. All right. We'll see if anyone sticks around for that Cardinal talk, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, man. Well, that's going to do it for the uh, fourth episode of the 401. Thanks for tuning in. If you're still listening, follow us at 401 pod at Tanner Ward 7 at Nick or in Dushkit 47. Uh, leave us a review and five stars on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. We will see you Thursday. Yes, we will. Deep in the rango, got the crib one falls in the mango. I bought my mama a rain.